The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we have got a program that is designed around the ideas behind what's going on with health care. Scott Jordan is here. Shannon Dyson is here. But also we have a special guest. She's a frequent guest of ours. Tiffany Bowders from the Butler, Sevier, Hensley, and Reed Law Firm. She is going to walk us through some very specific ideas behind elder abuse and what to do with it from a financial standpoint. And then both Scott and Tiffany are going to dive into the needs that we all face when it comes to estate planning and having the proper legal documents. You don't want to miss that. That's important. But first... I mean, directly straight from, where did you come from this morning? I mean, I'm mean, i not sure. That's true. School started back. I don't know where I came from <laughs> this morning. I have no that idea. That is a problem. Yeah. Shannon Dyson is with us. Always great to have Shannon. He does a phenomenal job, and there's a ton going on right now with health care. And I think, Shannon, our listeners, they, you know, we get questions about Medicare and all that, and you do a wonderful job. But I want to really think about this 19 trillion American Rescue Act. It opened for you know, new enrollment for a period, and everybody could get that. But I think, is that how's it doing? And isn't it over? Or, or have we extended it? What's going on? Well, we had a lot of you know, with the, with the Stimulus Act things that were going on, stimulus payments that were happening back in March. There was the the new the bill that was passed that had the I think it was the third round of stimulus. Is that right? Third, third round. Third round. Third yeah. round. Well, as a part of that uh, bill, they also extended the amount of time that people could actually enroll into health care. Um, it was mentioned, and it, but I think most people's minds and eyes were on the stimulus payments that are coming back, so it may have been lost a little bit in the shuffle. Uh, but what it did is it allowed a brand new enrollment period for people to, if they didn't have health care, uh, they could go on and get health care all the way through August the 15th. And typically that period ends in December of the of the previous year. So that opened it up for eight additional months for people to go on and, and get health care. Well, let me ask you this. So that ended August the 15th. Right. During that period, what did that do to the cost of individuals? So from a standpoint of buying health insurance at that time, was it up, down, neutral, or what's your take? Yeah, so there there were the statistics are showing that uh, almost two and a half new, two and a half million new people came into the system uh, during that time period. So those are people that either lost a job that had health care or they just didn't, for whatever reason, the previous year make the decision to have health care. Uh, two and a half million people came into the system. Is that a big number when you look at the big scheme of health care and the need? Two and a half million new people coming it in? Is. It, it is. It is? It is. It's a big number. And and I think one of the one of the reasons why they were coming in in droves was we, we had a lot of people that were on unemployment. As we all remember, the unemployment rate spiked uh, through that time period. Um, anybody that was on unemployment, even if it was just for a week, uh, you could actually go on to healthcare.gov and get a plan for zero cost to you. Mm. Um, and that's a big deal because typically there are income requirements on healthcare.gov. 
Uh, and healthcare.gov is just a place where you go sign up for individual health insurance if you don't have a group plan. Uh, but typically, you go on, you put how much money you make, and then it will tell you, based on your income, how much money you're going to pay monthly. Um, what this did is it said if you had one week of unemployment, it doesn't matter. Which if says you, one week of zero income. If you, if you had got a job the week later, uh, as long as that job didn't offer benefits, that is a caveat. If you have a job that offered benefits, you, you could not get on to healthcare.gov. But if you just had a job that didn't offer benefits, there are plenty of employers that don't offer group health Correct. plans. You could have a free plan for the rest of this year. And so it, it really, you know, just like with many, all sweeping legislation and things like that, there are going to be some, some circumstances where people that maybe otherwise wouldn't qualify get the help. But that, that's what basically happened for So for paying attention year. becomes more important. Shannon Dyson yep. is with us. We're talking about health care and some of the things going on. He is, of course, the vice president of SIS. Uh, Shoemaker Insurance Division and uh, does a great job managing all the group coverages and all the different coverages that we offer there as far as insurance is concerned. Now, Shannon, I guess I'm looking out here currently in the horizon. I know we got tax law a couple of weeks ago. Scott and I were talking with someone about the tax law changes and all the things going on there. But what do you see on the horizon for the rest of the year as far as healthcare is concerned? And when he was when President Biden was campaigning, I mean, most of us remember he said he was going to favor this public option that you know that was going to do some changes to healthcare. Yeah. Is that still in there? And what do you see next? Yeah. So from everything that we've been seeing and reading, he's dropped the public option at least for the rest of this year. Uh, I think it was something they estimated they couldn't get past, mm. um, and so they have instead kind of pivoted to uh, some of the Obamacare subsidies that were uh, increased last year, extending those types of things. Uh, and then, of course, with uh, that March bill, the $1.9 trillion bill in March, they made it free free health care for people who were on unemployment. So they've kind of focused and shifted their mindset to that. Uh, the public option, you know, you hear people campaigning and, and public option, and, and it's it draws headlines. Uh, and then, uh, for whatever reason, when you start legislation and trying to get those types of things passed, you realize pretty quickly <laughs> it's a it little, might be difficult to because there's a whole lot to it. From that, there's standpoint. a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. that's completely changing fundamentally the way that we do healthcare, and especially in a pandemic and things that are going on. Just Is no way. that changing Obamacare? Would that completely? I mean, I know I've read about it, and I, you know, when I finish reading, and I go, "What did I read?" And I'm a pretty good reader, and I look at it, I'm going, "It's just got a lot of moving parts." I think nobody it. knows. How it, would, how it would affect uh, the the law of the land today? Right. Because if you throw in a public option, you know who's who's eligible for? It? Is it just extending or expanding Medicare or expanding Medicaid? What what is the actual uh, trigger? I guess that would would what a public option? What would it do? And nobody really knows. As we see that, as you said. President Biden has kind of kicked that can yeah. down the road, maybe later. He has got a few things on his plate right sure. now. So bottom, just a few things. Yeah. But the bottom line is it it's going to surface again and again and again. And what I would like to do at some point in time, as we see it begin to come out and formulate what really is that plan going to look like, I would have you back. Yeah, I don't think he's going to let it go. But I no. think for the rest of this year, it's it's, it's pretty, pretty much, much dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. What about the budget reconciliation bill that's just passed or just going through the process? And it includes that, you know, there's going to be some health care changes there. What are some of those provisions? The main provisions that are in it today, and again, the final version of this could change. Um, it, I believe it has passed the House, uh, but I think the the when, when these big, large bills, you always hear about what's in them and then what's actually in them once they pass, you never know. But today, 
Uh, it would give uh, Medicare uh, recipients a dental and vision care as a part of their Part B of Medicare. Today, there is no uh, dental or vision care. So if you're on Medicare today, you have to go out and get a separate plan for that. So it's adding those benefits in, uh, which could th- then increase the, the, the cost of Part B of Medicare. That remains to be seen. Um, they're also expanding Medicaid. Uh, there are 14 or 15 states that did not expand Medicaid, meaning lower the, lowering the income requirements. Um, it expands Medicaid to all states, so medi- the Medicaid rolls will be bigger. So if, if you're low income, uh, you'll have a better chance of getting on to, to Medicaid. Uh, and those are pretty much the only health care provisions. They, they've extended, like I said, some of the Obamacare subsidies, the increased subsidies. They've increased that as a part of the bill for another year. Um, so that's pretty much it as far as the health care goes. But it's, as you say, it's formulating and coming through. That. Form- it, yeah. what, what actually happens is what we'll see as the Senate comes back in the first week of September. They've got this month uh, off, and I don't know if they're campaigning. Probably. Probably and, a little uh, bit. A little bit. And, and the, but to me, the biggest headline out of that for health care mm-hmm. is, is Medicare. I yeah. mean, w- most of the questions that we get around Medicare are what are the dental and vision benefits, and there just aren't any. So for them to add that in, if we can do it for a, for a cost, that's that's minimal, then that would be a good deal. All right. When we come back, I've got one more question for you. When we come back, you're going to also be talking, I'm going to be talking with something to do with estate planning. Tiffany Bounders is here with us and Scott Jordan. We're going to dive into really what elder abuse and exploitation is all about and does it happen here in the Mid-South. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. I want to thank Shannon Dyson for doing a wonderful job. Always a you know, tremendous amount of information. And, and Shannon, in reality... It's just a moving target, and it's something that we'll just keep you very much posted. And I know you'll come back and tell us more about it. Yep. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. No problem, sir. Let's move to, uh, you know, a guest that we just like to have because she always does a great job, Tiffany Bowders with Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed. And she is here to talk about elder abuse and exploitation. That's a big word, exploitation. It is, Jim. Thank you for having me. Always great to be here. You know, Tiffany, you always do a great job. And I think the problem is that everybody, and I, I hate this word elder abuse or the words elder abuse because does it really happen? And yet it does. And so kind of give us some ways that older individuals that you see in your practice as a lawyer that they're being taken advantage of financially and in other ways. Absolutely. And it is a, a sad reality for a lot of families here in the Mid-South. A lot of my clients are struggling with that or they have realized that their elderly family members are being taken advantage of. And when we talk about elder abuse, there are several components to it. Obviously, when we say abuse, some people just think of physical abuse or neglect. However, even more prevalent perhaps, is the financial abuse and exploitation of older individuals. And that is something that we see here in the Mid-South quite a bit, unfortunately. Is this family members, friends, or is it that scam artist that's on the phone? I mean, we were talking to someone just recently, and Scott Jordan is with us also. Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be here, Jim. You know, you guys just bring such a wealth of knowledge. And I guess, Scott, we were in a discussion recently where we had to literally talk about just to this person because we knew 
when we were asking questions, she said, well, my, we asked her, what's her biggest problem? And she said, I feel vulnerable. Vulnerable. And that's a common feeling. That's a common thing that we see, especially with the loss of a spouse. It's that, that vulnerability, that feeling of I'm alone and, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm uncertain about the future. And that's the key right there. And, Tiffany, when you talk about elder abuse and you said not just physical or just ne- neglect, it's financial. And that vulnerability word just pops in my mind as I think about that. And it's family members a lot of times. Absolutely. It certainly can be. Uh, Older individuals, perhaps they start having some dementia, or maybe they're just not as savvy with what's going on with their money or technology today. And it's easy for them to become a target or a victim from family members or neighbors, friends, or even, um, like you said, the scam artists on the phone calling. Uh, One Um, situation that comes to my mind with that is an older lady who had a phone, an iPhone, but she didn't really know how to use it. And someone called her and said they were from Apple and they sounded very convincing. And they somehow convinced her that she had to go buy gift cards and then give them the numbers of the gift cards. And they would, uh, Re, redo her account with Apple because someone had hacked it. And because she doesn't really understand what any of that means, she became afraid that her you know, information was out there. And so she did what they said and ended up losing over $2,000 before she finally said, maybe I should call my daughter and ask her if, if this if this is really true and of course you know then her daughter said no stop don't don't give them any more money don't do this but it's easy because older individuals they don't really understand and they get afraid and so they become victims you know we that's such a such a critical part whether it's a telephone person calling and and we talk about that a lot and i i think that when we talk about elder abuse it seems we talk about ladies being the victims but it's a two-way street there it can be the men who they've lost their their spouses mm-hmm. or you know women of course have lost their spouse but it's that point where they're it can be a couple I mean, you know, they just don't, there's just that mindset of vulnerability, and it is so sad when it, when you realize it's going on, and as we said, it doesn't have to be some scam artist, it can be a family member that we're dealing with. What do you tell people about their finances, Tiffany, when you, because Scott will ask you the same thing, and, and we'll get Shannon to lean in on this too, because it's the same problem a lot of times, but what do you say to your clients about the scam artist and the whole idea about what they should do about finances. Absolutely. Well, the first thing is, is that if we are talking about a couple, it's important for both parties to know what's going on with their finances, to be aware of where their money is invested, what you know insurance policies they have, where is their uh, accounts at banks, different things like that. So not just one of the partners uh, has that information, like you said, because if something happens and one of the spouses were to die, the other spouse doesn't really know what is going on with their money. It makes them much more vulnerable. Uh, So that's the first thing I would say. The next thing I would say is it's really important to have a team around you to help you with your finances. So Financial planners, like those at Shoemaker, are critical 
to help you understand how to manage your money, where your money is invested, and also a CPA so that you can know about the tax ramifications as well. So I think it's really important that you have a lot of trusted individuals and professionals around you as well. Well, one of the things I think, Scott, that we talked about just with that case recently is that all of a sudden we, the, around the table two, three years ago was the patriarch and everything's fine. Patriarch's taken out and the lady, the wife, the spouse had never been given any information whatsoever right about their finances unfortunately we see that a lot um and and it's it's kind of common in a relationship for one person to be a little more money oriented and kind of deal with the day-to-day but i think that's where like tiffany said it's so critical that that both people at some point sit around the table you know jim we always request when we meet with someone especially for a new client that both spouses show up to the meeting and, and both spouses may not want to participate in every meeting, but we want to start that relationship off with everybody knowing what's going on, everybody knowing what we're trying to accomplish and what all is at stake and where everything is. And one thing Tiffany said that made a lot of sense uh, to me was that having a team around you, uh, that's really important. On the insurance side, uh, what I've seen uh, many, many times is people come in and they've signed up for something through the mail. Uh, because some of the things that come in mm-hmm. that are that are that look like they're official Medicare documents are actually documents from insurance companies, um, and just ask for a few pieces of information. If you write that on the card and send it back, all of a sudden you're enrolled into a health insurance plan that you had no idea or didn't want to enroll into. And so having that team around you to take a look at everything is would be really helpful. You know, and I know some people think, well, I don't have the team now and I can't afford to do that. But that's just precautionary. And sometimes it can be your church that you can lean into and get a church member, a family member, but you just need to have that team that somebody's communicating with you before you need all of that because, as we know, that can be a problem. Tiffany, you see this a lot of times just with financial side. I do, and going back to that, I think it's also very important to make sure that you're only working with people that you know and trust and to be very wary of new people coming in and saying that they want to help you manage your money. They want to help you take you to the bank. You need to just sign this document or, oh, just give me this power of attorney and I can handle this for you. I see that, unfortunately, a lot. Um, Sometimes it's a neighbor or maybe it's just a new, quote, friend that they've met. Met, uh, and that person then has the ability to handle your money and can start doing things and you're not aware of it. So be very careful about that. And like you said, the key is a trusted team of individuals or friends or family members, people you've known for a long time. You know, recently when we were dealing with this case that, that Scott and I are talking about, the reality was that all of a sudden they, they had the funeral and the funeral home notified, you know, I guess they notified Social Security. She doesn't know how all of a sudden Social Security sends her a letter and said, we made your change. She never called them. So that was one thing that kind of flopped up. Then all of a sudden she gets a, a letter from the insurance company, one of her insurance companies, that said, we understand your, you know, name of the person has passed away. It will be sending you some. And none of this was put together by her. And so we explained to her that her information now was public knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
because he died without a will. He was intestate. And, uh, you know, the funeral home did what they are going to do for everybody. They ordered 25 death certificates for her, which was great and all that's important. But all of a sudden, it was out there in front of the world that this is what had happened. And I think, you know, the fact that it is so public and there are people out there that are opportunistic looking to take advantage of those types of situations. So, you know, we even talked to her about that, is that you have to be on guard and be careful. Now, some of that, you know, the insurance company knowing that's just modern technology. A lot of that news gets passed around. But you have to be careful because there could be somebody trying to take advantage of that situation, send you some official-looking paperwork, and get you into a situation that you can't get out of. And the world, it says, I think this WWW yeah. is the wide world of something. What does that stand for, WWW? I can't remember. But when you go to Facebook and all those issues there. Are you talking about the World Wide Web? World Wide Web. <laughs> My goodness, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, <laughs> okay, <laughs> <All right. laughs> never mind. Hey, we'll be back in just a minute with more. I've got an estate strategy plan for you. You can pick it up as a PDF. It's simply critical elements of an estate plan. We'll talk more about that when we come back. You don't want to miss the rest of the program. It's important. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific situation. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Tiffany Bowders from Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed, an attorney. We're talking about elder abuse and exploitation, a big word. And also Scott Jordan is with us and Shannon Dyson. We're just putting this around the table as if we were having a cup of coffee and discussing important matters. And this is a very important matter, elder abuse and exploitation. Tiffany, you have really kind of laid this out, this whole idea that we need to be careful when we when people offer to help. And Scott, you had talked about the reality that it's public information, you know, and all yeah. of a sudden everything's out there. And so the, the as we talked about this person yesterday or last week or whenever we were talking to this person, that it was an idea behind vulnerability. Yes. And that's a critical part. She actually brought up something that I think that I want you to kind of ask Tiffany about and the whole idea. And, and kind of, Tiffany, do you see a lot of this? But she really did. Well, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, making those decisions without getting that team around you and really thinking through things. Because this particular person doing what she thought was right, because uh, she had a lot of money in, in, in banks and stuff like cash and CDs. And, and in her mind, it was like, I better put my daughter on this account in case she needs to ever access this money for my benefit. But by doing that, what she didn't realize is she had unintentionally disinherited the rest of the children because, mm. you know, a, a, a an item like that that is jointly titled is going to pass by operation of law. In other words, it's going to pass to that joint owner. No matter what you put in your will, it's going to pass to that joint owner. So that wasn't her intention, but that's what she did thinking she was doing the right thing. And that just goes back to that, you know, you're in that state, you've lost a spouse, you're making these big decisions, and sometimes they're not thought through all the way. You know, a lot of times people do the planning after the fact, and what we try to encourage people to do is before the fact. And so, Tiffany, what would you encourage a person who, before the fact, who wants to make sure that they can handle that, what would you encourage them to do? Sure. So I think that this is something that a lot of people don't know about, and I see a lot as an estate planning attorney, is that people, 
what they think is going to happen to their property and their assets when they pass is perhaps not really what's going to happen. And so the important thing is to meet with an attorney well before there's any crisis or well before you're in that vulnerable state. And you can have a consultation, talk with that attorney about how does property pass when I die? You know, jointly titled assets, what exactly is in my estate? What does my will do? So that you understand that. A lot of people, you're right, don't realize that if you for example, have beneficiaries listed on everything, it's going to pass by operation of law to that beneficiary. It's not going under your will. Or if you put your daughter's name on your house as a joint tenant with right of survivorship, that when you pass, she will be the sole owner of that house to the exclusion of your other children. So it's really important to meet with an attorney well beforehand so you have an understanding about how everything is going to happen to make sure your wishes are carried out. That is absolutely so critical. And I know people, it's, it's, that, it's that word that um, I, I went through college uh, practicing this, and it was great for me because I think what it did, it taught me that, that I could do this, and that is wait till the last minute, procrastinate, and put it off and study the night before and pass, you know. Not that good, <laughs> you know. Maybe not as well as I would like, but procrastination, and that's really what's happening. Procrastination. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to, and then you don't, and then you have the problem. Absolutely, and and we see that with people, young people, older people. I think that's just human nature. It's something a lot of people don't want to think about or talk about. Uh, and so it is something they put off. And going back to the elder abuse, Jim, that I think is important for us to mention is that when you meet with your attorney, make sure that you meet with them at least once, one-on-one, without your other family members there. I'm As an attorney, I'm all, always very aware when I have especially an elderly person come in with a son or daughter or niece, nephew, whoever it is, friend, and they don't want me to meet with my client one-on-one or they're constantly talking for them or answering questions for them. I'm very, very aware of that. So I always am sure that I meet with my client by themselves to make sure they understand that I am their attorney. They have an attorney-client relationship with me that's confidential. If they And then if I feel like they want that support person there and that person is is good for them, then that's fine. But I would say be very aware of family members or friends who do not want to allow you to meet with your CPA, your financial advisor, or your attorney one-on-one. I know Scott and I have had that problem where we felt um, that the particular, we could tell that the elder mother in this case was very stressed out, uh, tearful, frightened to some degree in the person that had brought, that had come with her. I'm, I'm not going to say it was physically or even emotionally, but there was just abusing her, but there was this pressure, and we could sense that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. We've seen that a lot, actually, and it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but I know Tiffany always does that, and, and we've done a lot of work with Tiffany, and I appreciate that because she does sit down and try to get the person by themselves and figure out exactly what their wishes are and what they're wanting to do without that influence of that family member there. Um, that It's just an important step in the process. I well, think. it's always a very important step in the process. And if you just tuned in, I'm, my guess we're talking with uh, Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan and 
Chan and Dyson. We're trying to put everything together to help you understand financial abuse, elder abuse. It can be very, very common in our city. It's common around the nation, and it's something we want to make you very aware of. Also, we've prepared estate strategies, critical elements of an estate plan. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but I want to put that out there. And if you'd like to get a copy of that, just simply go to Shoemaker Financial, and all. It just it's very simple. I'll tell you more about this later. Go to our Facebook page, search for this document. It's in our post, and there you'll be able to just view the document. If you'd like to just print it out, just put it a PDF. It's free. Absolutely. Estate strategies, official elements of an estate plan. Shannon, I want to ask you one other question. Then I want to, we're going to move into some specifics, and Tiffany's going to lead us away. You've actually had some cases where people have thought they were just filling out information, not signing up for anything, and yet it ended up they had actually stepped further than they really intended to, and it it's borderline. It's so critical. Tiffany has a comment about it. So I want you to tell our audience of really what you see and how that needs to be so, so important for a person to be aware. When in doubt, seek it out. Don't just sign it. Yeah, we've had this happen um, several times. And the, the process around uh, Medicare is complicated. It, it can be something where, if, especially if you've not been involved in doing these types of things in the past or signing up for health coverage in the past, uh, it's a brand new ballgame. So wh- what do you do when you, when you become age, Medicare age, or, or if you've been working your entire life and you continue to work past age 65 and it's time to get on Medicare? Um, and I would just say don't overcomplicate it by filling out forms uh, that maybe you can or, or maybe you won't be able to take back. We had several instances in the last few years where people actually signed up for health insurance uh, through Medicare, a Medicare Advantage type plan. Um, and they said, well, yeah, you know, I think there was a form that came in that said I needed to sign up as quickly or sign up now. And, you know, this deal was not going to last. And I put just a few pieces of information and we only found out because we went to sign them up for a Medicare supplement plan and we were told they already have coverage. Um, and when you go back in the room, so you already have coverage and the person looks back, says, no, I don't. Um, they've obviously filled something out that, that they thought was legitimate. Uh, so I would, yeah, just don't overcomplicate the process by completing forms. If you don't know what they are. I think the best statement, and I think Tiffany's going to share this with us, but my thoughts on that is when you're unsure of what, what to do and listen, folks, this is critical. When you don't really feel comfortable or you think it's something you should do, but you're not sure. You need to call a trusted family member or trusted friend, you know, somebody that you know, not somebody that's just come into the, you know, picture for you in the last three and four months, but somebody you know and just simply ask the question. Absolutely. And if if it's a document that you get and it looks like it has some legal language or they're asking you to sign something, don't be afraid to give it to your attorney. I always encourage my clients that if they get something in the mail or an email or a phone call and they're not really sure what it means, don't sign it. Don't call them. Call me first. Let me look it over and then we'll walk through it together and I can explain it to you. So don't be afraid to rely on your attorney as well. Absolutely. And I think it's also, and I know it sounds so terrible, when I say this, and I'm going to say it, but you need to understand. Also, if a family member is asking you to do something and you're unsure, don't hesitate. Make the phone call to an attorney, Tiffany, to a CFP, Scott, anybody, you know, Shannon, anybody. Just just get some advice before you sign on the dotted line. 
when you have that little check in your spirit, maybe God's telling you, mm, be careful, this is something, seek wise counsel. That's just a biblical principle, straight stewardship, and don't hesitate to do it. You're not offending anybody by doing it. You're just being smart. When we come back, there's some estate planning basics that we're going to tell you that you must have. Important. Tiffany's going to share that with us. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Tiffany Bowder's attorney or Butler, Sevier, Hensley, and Reed. The views and opinions expressed are those of Tiffany Bowder's only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guests, Shannon Dyson, Tiffany Bowder's, and Scott Jordan. And uh, we're here talking about some elder abuse, exploitation, some issues with the Medicare and things that you need to be sensitive about. But we want to shift gears a little bit. We want to talk about what you need, what you just, those important documents that you cannot procrastinate, that you just need to say, you know what, I don't want to put my family through this. We've written something or I've got something for you called Estate Strategies of Critical Elements of an estate plan. And we'd like for you to just just simply go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post. There'll be a you'll be able to view it. Uh, if you'd like to download it and print it, it's download it to a PDF and you can print it. It's free. It's called Estate Strategies, Official Elements of an Estate Plan. Tiffany, I want to lean in a little bit because as Scott's talking about Medicare, Medicaid and health care and all those things, so many people think that if you're married, you can make decisions with no problems for your spouse. If it's a medical decision, you can say, I'm married to this lady or I'm married to this man. I'll make this decision. And that's not the case. That's correct, Jim. It's not the case for health care or for finances Financials. if you don't have a joint account. What do you have to do? You need to get a durable power of attorney that includes both financial powers and health care powers. When you say health care powers... Explain that. I mean, I think so many people, I believe if I walked out in the streets of Memphis, the Mid-South, and I just walked to the average person and said, "Do you, can you make a decision financially or healthcare-wise for your spouse? I believe most people would say yes, they could do that. I, I would think that, uh, I would probably argue the fact that, shucks, if I'm married and this, I've been married a long time to this lady, I ought to be able to make the decisions if, for her, but I can't. Yes, that's right, Jim. So what we're talking about with the durable power of attorney is a document that where you give power to someone else, and that can be your spouse or it could be a friend, it could be a, a, a adult child, um, that allows them to access your medical records, talk to your doctors, and to make health care decisions for you in the event you're not able to do that for yourself. And because of the federal regulations and privacy laws such as HIPAA, you're not able to do that unless you have this durable power of attorney. I know a lot of hospitals today, almost well, all of them require, they'll ask you if you have it, and then they'll ask for a copy of it, or they will provide you with something that will do that. But the problem is you're in a car accident, you have a stroke, and you didn't think about it, and you show up in the emergency room, and all of a sudden, now you've got a problem. Absolutely. And we see this a lot, not just with spouses or older people, but with families that have adult children. So they think, you know, parents think that if their child is still living at home or they're paying for their college, that that 
that relationship that they had with them when they were a minor child will go ahead and extend to their adult years, but that's not true. Once your child turns 18, they have all the same privacy rights and laws apply that we do. And so it's very important for your 18-year-old to also get a durable power of attorney. So for those that are listening that have sent that freshman off to college or that sophomore or they got the whatever, they are now, you need a health care power for that child. Right. And Shannon and I were just talking about that his oldest is at Belmont, and if something were to happen and there were to be a, a car wreck or— Are you going to tell us that he does not have a— I don't know. Oh, okay, Let's find ask. out. Boy, I'm on the hot seat right now. I've got, Let's I've find got three out. sets of eyes looking at me right now. Yeah, a little drum roll here. If not, you know, call If not, me. I have homework to do. <laughs> that's right. You know, and that's just it. The reality is, and, and, you know, we laugh about it, but the reality is so many people don't really— realize it's not only health care but it's for financial also you need that power for that college student and so many for people forget that and all of a sudden you can have all kinds of issues with that absolutely uh, that's absolutely true jim okay now let's talk about health care that's good power of attorney you need to have a durable power what's a springing power that sounds so unique I like sure that. so there's two different kinds of powers of attorney that you can have you can have a durable power of attorney this is a power of attorney that is effective the moment you sign it and it remains effective um, it remains effective whether you are have um, you're competent or you have a later incapacity the springing power of attorney is a power of attorney that only becomes effective if you lose capacity. So generally there will be language in it that says that you have to have written uh, documentation from two physicians that say that you're not able to make decisions for yourself. Some people prefer that. They don't like the idea of giving somebody else the ability to handle their affairs for them unless they truly are incapacitated. Yeah, maybe I need to think about that with Miss Linda. I don't know if I want you know, she's not listening today, so I can do that today, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. There, is, there is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. She'll listen to the <laughs> podcast. I'm in trouble. Okay, all right. Living will. That's a big topic for a lot of people. Sure. So living will, we sometimes also hear it called an advanced directive. It doesn't give any power to anybody. Instead, it's your express wishes of what you would want to have happen if you were in a brain-dead vegetative state, there was no medical hope or recovery, or if you had some terminal condition and death was imminent and you're not conscious. It's you saying what you would like your end-of-life wishes to be. Do You don't want to be kept alive on machines. You don't want IV fluids, things of that nature. Those things are things that people, as we said, procrastinate and do and put that off. Scott, when we were meeting with this person, it was kind of shocking because they had a family member that was an attorney. What did you get from that conversation as you listened to that? Well, I think it goes back to uh, Tiffany said this earlier. People don't like to think about things like this, so they tend to put it off. They think they, they'll get to it later. They have time to deal with it. I know we have to usually nudge people a little bit to get them to go ahead and get the appointment and uh, you know a lot of times we would say you can meet at our office let's get this done because it's I think everybody would in if you talk to them they would intentionally want to get this done but it's just one of those decisions that people put off and they think they more have have more time I'm going to wait and I'll get it done next week and I can get it done and and I'll get it done and and I know Tiffany when we talk about that in the office and we try to encourage people and I know you do the same thing 
What is your language with them? I mean, I mean, you can't say, Dave, listen to me, you got to get this done. I mean, that doesn't happen. What do you try to encourage? How do you encourage? I know we talk about the last will and testament as the kind of the foundation. You can build from that. What's that language like as you're encouraging them? Sure. Well, one of the things that I really encourage my clients to think about is that I try not to make it so intimidating for them. You know, they, they seem to think that they have to have all of this stuff figured out and think about every possible scenario for the rest of their lives. And I I try to say, okay, let's stop and let's just plan for now. Where are we now? What are your goals now? What are the challenges now, your financial situation now? Because by and large, with very few exceptions, everything we do in a, quote, estate plan, we can always change it later. So let's go ahead and let's get the plan done now. And then if things change, well, you already have it done. It's easy for us to to make those amendments or changes later. All you have to do is call me and I try to make it as pleasant and easy for you as possible. And, and I, I try to make it a as pleasant as experience as I can, because you're right, people don't like thinking about their own mortality and and things like that. So yeah. I, I agree that that tends to be one of the reasons for the procrastination. You know, and I'm going to have to do this because I think it's important. I have had to serve as a appointed guardian or appointed custodian uh, by the courts. If you don't do some things, you've got some consequences. Talk about that. Absolutely. So one of the biggest things that I see, there's there's lots of things, but one of the biggest things I see are families that have minor children and they don't have any will or any estate plan. What they don't realize is that if they were to die or even if just one spouse were to die, that that money may not go how you think it will. They think, oh, well, everything will just go to my surviving spouse. Well, that's not true. It's going to go to your surviving spouse and your children. And if they're minors, we have to open up a guardianship and probate like you were talking about. And that money can get tied up in the courts. It's expensive. It may not be used the way it needs to be used for the minors, things like that. So that's one of the unintended consequences that I think I see a lot with people. And guardianship can be one of the most important. And just naming someone who's going to take care of everything. Absolutely. Instead of everybody sitting around the table arguing, you've got somebody that you've appointed. Right. And we call that person the executor or personal representative. So that's a really important part of the estate plan as well. And we take care of that in the last will and testament. You do such a great job, lady, and I so much appreciate it. You've been listening to KWAM, the Mighty 990. And FM 107.9 and AM 990. I want to thank my guest, Tiffany Bowders. Thank you, lady. Thank you, Jim. As we always, a great job. And of course, Shannon Dyson, Scott Jordan. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, great Jim. To be here. Appreciate it. Guys, you do, I mean, always good information. If you have questions for Tiffany, you can reach her at 578 58, excuse me, 578 8888. And Scott and Jordan, you can reach them at 901 757 5757. To find a copy of that PDF I mentioned earlier, Estate Strategies, Clinical, Clinical, Critical Elements. Man, I can't believe that. Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. Just go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page and search on the for the document on the post. You can print it out. It's free. Next week, Drew Johnson and Scott's back with us. We're going to talk about timeless truths about investing. Also, from SOS, serving our seniors, we've got uh, Margaret Lawrence. She's going to talk specifically about some things that you need to know about when it comes to finding that caregiver that counts. If you have questions, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. And thanks so much for listening. And uh, we're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. 
Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 